Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. My name is Jessie Horney, and I'm on staff here at Redemption Hill. I'm the director of Wonder School, our preschool program. Sometimes I get to preach um, part of the discipleship culture here, leading people in the way of Jesus, and multiplying disciples is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, I also really love to share the Word of God, and I'm excited to share with you guys today. So, really hoping my ears will pop mid-sermon, although my dad was like, maybe it's good you can't hear, what if people are booing you? And I was like, jeez, Dad, confidence. Yeah, really appreciate it. Um... We have been preaching through the series of our liturgy, which is essentially the commitment that we make as a group of people in the way that we're going to live. So we're going to continue in that today. And I'm going to tell you about a little bit about myself along the way. First of all, big surprise to reveal to you is that when I first went to college, I was pre-med. You guys, don't sound shocked. I'm really smart. I wanted to be a doctor since I was a little girl. I would get, like, super weird Christmas presents of real medical supplies from my parents' friends who were nurses and doctors, and I would do weird surgeries on my dolls. And I took a lot of Latin in high school so that I could pass all the anatomy tests that I needed to take. And then I got to Boise State, and I was in my biology class, and I was like, this is so hard. <laughs> and then I got a glance at my degree plan, and it was just four years of continued math and science. And I was so surprised. And everyone I told was surprised at my surprise and said, what did you think doctors studied? And I was like, I don't know. And then long story short, I ended up on academic probation and had to leave Boise State. When I finally went back, later in my 20s, I was married and a little more grown up, much more self-aware, and realized I was actually a writer, not a doctor. So, looked at that degree plan, looked a lot more fun, including a class uh, in which the entire syllabus was full of (laughs) fantasy novels. I got a creative writing degree, it was pretty highbrow. And on this syllabus were books like uh, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, some C.S. Lewis. And I was like, oh, these are my people. This is how smart I am. (laughs) This this is where I should be. But uh, that class actually ended up being integral to my faith later in life because it taught me about the hero's journey. Have you guys ever heard about this? 
the hero's journey. Okay, there's this old familiar path that the protagonists of basically every single hero's story will follow. And a guy named Joseph Campbell wrote a book about it in 1949 called A Hero of a Thousand Faces and basically changed storytelling forever. And this is known as the monomyth. And these stories all follow a formula. So listen and keep in your mind maybe a movie or a book that comes to mind for you, okay? So our main character is living a regular life in a regular place, then gets called into an adventure, which he or she initially refuses out of fear or doubt, but then along comes a mentor to guide the hero who helps the hero cross the threshold of action. This is called the point of no return. Now they're into it. And then the hero experiences many trials and ordeals and adversary eventually triumphs and returns home forever changed and has to live out their new identity back in their regular life. What, what came to mind? What movies have we seen here? Lion Great. What? <laughs> yep. Yes, Lion King. Good. What else? The Matrix. Uh-huh. Yes. Exact formula of the Matrix. Frodo. Frodo. Textbook. Harry Potter. I don't know if you've read those, but pretty good example. Uh, okay, but who cares, right? They're all the same. Harry Potter is Luke Skywalker. Who is Frodo? Who is Odysseus? Why are we talking about this? Well, first of all, we're talking about it because I like stories and I have the microphone. <laughs> so, settle in. <laughs> but second of all, it's because I'm here today to invite you into your hero story. So, Lord, help us to hear your voice today. Would you quiet the din of whatever we came? Whatever we came here believing about ourselves or about you. And would you turn your face towards us? We're listening for you, Father. Um, I'm going to have a slide up here that is the, the liturgy that we're talking about today. And these are a shared group of commitments that we follow along with all the other churches in the syndicate that they talked about earlier. I'm talking to you today about passion. Okay, I want to read it to you. Sorry. With Jesus as our model, we want our lives to be characterized by passion. In the most surface sense, it means that we should be moved by our relationship with God and maintain a high level of dedication in all we do for him. In a deeper sense, it means that we value suffering and sacrifice. We see Jesus' willingness to suffer for the lost and the hopeless as a model for all who would come after him, and that we likewise are to take up our cross and to walk the way of suffering, not seeking pain or persecution, but not shrinking back from it either. We're convinced that the clearest expression of the gospel is love, and that love is forever defined by Jesus and his death for us. We value the kind of radical faith that expects every believer to be ready and willing to suffer and sacrifice for Jesus, his name, and his kingdom. We realize that this value is not mainstream, and that it contradicts the cultural currents of prosperity and the idea that in all things, God wants to give us personal success exalting our individual kingdoms. We denounce this idea and affirm that the kingdom of God will not be built through selfish ambition, but through passionate, sacrificial love. I'm going to give you the punchline of this sermon way ahead of time so you know it's coming, okay? God is inviting you on a hero's journey, but you're not the one who will triumph. In God's story, the hero is Jesus, 
And Jesus wins by suffering and dying. We're heroes when we follow Jesus' footsteps all the way to the cross and act in passionate, sacrificial love to friend and enemy alike. And the power of God, not us, brings us back to life and sends us home with a new identity. So you've probably heard this kind of phrase before, take up your cross and die to yourself, which is sort of esoteric, like, what does that mean? We're not actually holding crosses. We're not, we're not actually dying. Our bodies aren't dying. So what does this mean in our real lives? We're going to look at it today like a journey, and we're going to follow the stages of Jesus' life and the life of the apostles to see it in human form in the actual stages of the hero's journey, because... We don't just love hero stories because they're fun and exciting. We love them because they're actually an echo of the story in all of our hearts, and it's the story that leads us to Jesus. We are attracted to this because we know it's true. If you have your Bible, I'm going to have you go to Matthew chapter 16, all the way down to verse 21. This isn't a slide, so phones or Bibles. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to hear this through the ages, 2,000 years later, here it is for us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone even give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is a wild call that Jesus is making to his disciples, and they've been walking with him a long time when they hear this. So Peter is, like, visibly shook by this. He does not want Jesus to die. And probably, he also doesn't want to die. They think that they are going to triumph in a way that will bring them glory, just like we think we're going to triumph in a way that brings us glory. And what Jesus is describing is the opposite of that. So we see here the same steps that we talked about earlier that happen in every hero story, Simba, Frodo. <laughs> Jesus issues a call to the disciples, follow me. He's said it to them before, right? It's how they began this journey in the first place. He called them off the water, come follow me, when he asked them to leave their regular lives and come with him and minister. But here we hear him saying it again. And has he given us the same invitation? Yes. We hear this call and decide whether we want to follow Jesus. But then, like the disciples, if we say yes the first time, we can expect to hear those same words again and again and again. Follow me. And every time we hear it, we have to cross this threshold of faith. Again, I have to consider, will I follow Jesus? 
Will I do what he's asking me to do? We feel nervous when we hear this because, first of all, we don't get a whole picture of what God has for us on the other side of the journey. Just like all those other people we talked about, we do not know what we're stepping into. God doesn't say, here's the beginning, middle, and end, will you follow me? Because we'd be like, sure. <laughs> we don't really want to suffer in the middle, but we can see the end. We don't get that picture because the end isn't necessarily assured because we haven't said yes yet. The kingdom of God is in a series of formulas with predictable results. It's often the fear of the unknown that holds us back from something new or hard. It's why we don't always say yes. Um, I heard this author on a podcast this week, which is like the new embarrassing way that we lie about books that we've read. You know, we used to like buy a book and say we'd read it, and now we hear the author interviewed and say we've read it. I didn't read her book, but I did hear her get interviewed. Her name is Tracy Dennis Tawari, and she wrote a book called Future Tense, Why Anxiety is Good for You Even Though It Feels Bad. She says anxiety is a powerful feeling that tells us something is happening in the world and it allows us to hold in mind, at the same time, the possibly good outcome and the possibly bad outcome of whatever we're facing. That's anxiety. And she makes this sort of radical statement that you actually have to have hope to be anxious. Because otherwise, if you were just holding the fear that it was going to be bad, what you would be feeling is called despair. So anxiety is actually our ability to hold our dreams and our fears about the future at the same time. That is the feeling that we're getting in our body. And I found this extremely helpful and encouraging as we're attempting this idea of being passionate people willing to do hard things. Because maybe we can actually trust that our anxiety about what's before us is a good sign because it means, number one, we're noticing that God is moving. Something's happening. And number two, it means that we have hope that there might be something good on the other side of this. So then there's submission. Stepping into the journey. Saying yes, even when we're scared or hesitant or just plain old really don't want to do it. And this is our act of faith because we are actively trusting that God will use what is hard for what is good. And that we'll be transformed in the process. When we don't submit, when we say no, when we hide or avoid or blame or make excuses, it's not that God can't do the work without us. He will still have his will done. He's not waiting for us to say yes to do the thing. We miss out on transformation. We leave behind these unformed parts of ourselves because we're afraid it would hurt too much. You guys, we don't want to lay down our lives because we don't believe that God will take care of us. And as soon as we start to see the cost of saying yes, we begin listening to the same old lies that the enemy has been whispering forever. We're going to put them up here. The first one is that God isn't enough. I can't step into this hard thing because God will not be enough to save me. The second lie that we might be believing is I'm not enough. Maybe God can do this thing, but surely he has called the wrong person. 
Not me, Lord. Moses said it. Joshua said it. The disciples say it time and time again. Not me. I'm not the one. I'm not enough. And the third lie we believe is, I'm going to go do it, but I'm not doing enough. I can't possibly do enough for this thing to be made right. So when I use the word suffering here, that passion like Jesus is suffering like Jesus, I'm not talking about physical pain or some kind of all-or-nothing martyrdom where we leave a miserable life for the sake of a higher calling. I'm talking about how hard it is to let go of these lies and the little pet sins that we've allowed into our lives that help us cope with the pain of believing them. Because every single one of these lies creates pain in our lives. And to cope with that pain, we find ways to take care of ourselves. Um, some of you know this, but my husband Sam and I, he's not here, he's in the mountains this weekend. So, <laughs> my side of the story. Uh, <laughs> Sam and I have been on a really hard journey the last few years. I got to a place where I wanted to leave the church that we had attended for 14 years together since before we were even married. There was a lot of reasons for that. Some of them were valid. Some of them were from immaturity, unformed places in me. But the bottom line was that the things that Sam and I wanted were no longer the same. And we were at a complete standstill over where we would go to a church. Oh, suffering. This hurts. And at the same time that all this was happening, I was in the middle of hearing this call to ministry. I had never considered being a pastor. I didn't want to be in ministry. Our dad is a pastor. I know what that life looks like. That was a big no thank you for me. And I really, to be honest, didn't have much affection for the church or for Christians. It had just been like a lot of years of hurt when I was a kid that I was still, that I really still like, have to wrestle through how I feel about the church. So we had these two uh, huge problems looming before us. Me wrestling out this call to ministry, also living in a place that doesn't necessarily affirm women in leadership. There's not a lot of churches that do that here. What does that even mean for our family? And also, oh, we don't really have a place where we want to call home for a church. Um, and it, it was miserable. And there was a really miserable year where every Sunday morning, it like chokes me up to think about it, but like our kids would wake up, they wouldn't know where we were going to church that day. Our old church, were we trying a different church? Were we coming to redemption? What were we doing? And it would be this like old west high noon standoff between Sam and I. Who's going to give in first? And it was horrible. It was suffering. And if I was going to plot this on the hero's journey, which I was definitely trying to do during the time, <laughs> I assumed that the call into something hard was my call to ministry and our need for a new church home. That was the thing that we were being called to. And in this case, our suffering was just part of the journey uh, on my way to triumph. And I'll let you take a big fat guess who I thought the adversary was. <laughs> it was Sam. <laughs> directly against me, right? But I was, what I was missing and what I didn't see until we decided to get some help from these things from a marriage counselor 
was that, yes, go get it. Uh, the journey wasn't towards pastoring, and it wasn't towards finding a new church. This is still fresh. It was towards Sam. My threshold of faith was me telling God yes as he asked me to slow down and listen to my husband. And my suffering was realizing all the ways that we had learned to keep our lives separate and all the habits that we had developed to be married, but still get our own way. And I was believing the lie that God did not care about the desires of my heart and that if I just worked hard enough and was smart enough, I could make a way through on my own. Submitting to the cross and dying these many small deaths of self isn't just painful for nothing. It produces the fruit of spiritual death. We cannot become people like Jesus unless we do what Jesus did. We use the phrase, a Jesus-shaped life, a lot around here, and this is the picture of what that means. This is that shape of a life, a calling, a step of faith, a submission to the journey, a confrontation with the adversary and the lies we believe, experiencing suffering and our own death to self, gaining wisdom and humility from our mentor, Holy Spirit, and walking out of the tomb as resurrected beings, new creations in Christ, and we're brought back to life. It's not our old life. We can never be the same again. It's our true identity beginning to be realized, beloved and free. Sam and I went through nine months of slow, messy work in counseling. And guess what? We hardly ever talked about church. <laughs> we walked through the valley of the shadow of death as God asked us to lay down our wants and needs and to trust him to give us something better in return. And surprise, surprise, he did. We did find our church home. And God is giving me a place to minister to his people, and he's renewing a love in me for his people. But what's crazy is that neither Sam or I cared about how those pieces worked out in the end, because our journey was saying yes to God shaping us, not changing our circumstances. We cannot be partners with Christ unless we are willing to suffer with Christ. We're called to love, and real love is sacrificial love. And you guys, guess what? We will suffer. Life will make sure of it. The second law of thermodynamics will make sure of it. We are moving towards chaos. The systems are disintegrating. We will suffer. Paul says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going to go through, as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. We will suffer and we will be shaped by our suffering. That is true. The choice we have is this. Will I be shaped in the way of Jesus or will I be shaped in the way of the world? Will my suffering be for the sake of others or for my own gain? Will I exalt God's kingdom or will I exalt Jesse's kingdom? There's a warning in the book of Revelation that says, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. 
and I wish you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's strong language. Jesus is asking us to live a passionate life full of listening to the Father's voice and stepping into what he has for us. But especially in our culture, where we're not just encouraged to make our lives more comfy, we're sold the constant idea that we are actually failures if we're suffering. This is a hard pill to swallow. The American dream is cozy. <laughs> it's a life built around personal preference, comfort, and individual liberty. The call to a passionate life of faithful obedience to God, of giving up my preferences for yours, and dying to myself, no thanks. But it's not just American culture that pushes back against Jesus' way. It's human nature, and it's been happening since time began. And it's all over the epistles as the early church wrestled over these same difficult callings. Paul has this great refrain in Philippians where he's uh, describing what a perfect specimen of a Jewish leader he is. All of his education, how smart he is, how much influence he had garnered, how many Christians he was murdering, and how that was considered righteousness to him. I think I have this on a slide, Bob. Um, this is in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells the Philippians, Yeah, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, <laughs> so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Here's the important part. Here's the hero's journey. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here's some questions that lead us through that hero's journey. Do we want to follow Jesus? We get to decide. It is not a forced following. It is not a cult. It is not a dragging by the hand. He is a God of invitation, and he will invite you to follow him, not just once, again and again and again. Jesse, will you follow me again into this new space that I have for you? So we get to decide. Then we have to step over that threshold of faith because, you guys, it is an act of faith. When we hear the Father's voice or when we have a sense from our community and the people that we love that God is calling us into something, saying yes requires that we face that feeling of fear and anxiety and we believe that God is good and that God is good enough that if I say yes, there will be something good on the other side of it. That's faith because we don't get to see what's on the other side of it. That's why it's faith. And it is a requirement to follow Jesus. And then we can be certain 
that the adversary will attack us with lies. Guess what? The kingdom of darkness does not want the kingdom of light to flourish. So when we take the kingdom of light and push it forward by saying yes to Jesus, the adversary will come and push back against us. My friends, do not be surprised at the trials that you face, like something strange was happening to you. He is going to tell us the lie that God isn't enough, that the thing God's calling to you is dependent on you alone because God won't do it. He's going to tell you that you're not enough. Yes, it's up to you, but guess what? You're going to fail. And everyone's going to see it, and it's going to be bad news for everybody. And he's going to tell you that you're not doing enough. Try, try, try harder. Make your way through this valley. These are lies. And the suffering comes as we face them. The suffering isn't from other people. People are not the bad guy here. They might be some of the source of the suffering, but the suffering is us looking into these ancient lies and declaring no. I will believe that God is enough. I will believe my identity is beloved. And I will believe that when I act in freedom, there is no scale of enough. It's just me and Jesus working together, and he will bring his will to earth as it is in heaven. But this is going to feel like suffering because we have to die to those lies. I had to die to the lies I was believing about God, about myself, and about Sam. I had to. We could not move forward. Sam had to die to the lies that he was believing about God and about himself and about me. Those things were making us push up against each other and up against God. But when we laid them down at the Lord's feet, and we did this next step of asking the Holy Spirit to come speak into us. Holy Spirit, help me to see what you're doing here. Holy Spirit, would you soften my heart? Holy Spirit, would you be with us in our suffering? It is long sometimes. These seasons feel like too much. The weight of it makes us feel like we made the wrong decision. Let's scramble back up that threshold and get back on the other side. Never mind, Jesus. This was too hard. This is when our mentor, our guide, the Holy Spirit, is absolutely crucial because we're not enough. We are beloved, and Jesus is enough. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to take us through that valley. And then we will share in Jesus' death by laying down those lies and then asking for the truth in exchange. Oh, Lord, show me what's true. Slowly sometimes, show me what's true. Show me again. Quickly sometimes, break the addiction. Heal this relationship, Lord. Call me out of the thing I've been doing. Break this sin, Jesus. Sometimes it is a slow roll. Sometimes it is a quick movement. But every single time that we ask the Lord for truth instead of a lie, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to give us the truth. He's not like, oh man, hope she figures it out. He's like, Jesse! Yes, thank you for asking. Here is what's true, my beloved daughter. Please take it. 
And the truth is that I loved you enough to give you everything I had. And I loved Sam enough to give him everything I had. Let's reconcile those two things. And that is what's true here. And then the best news of all, we will experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and we will be made new again. The you that Jesus brings back to life will be a new creation. Sam and I can't go back to the way that we were two years ago. Thank God. <laughs> it was not great. We get a new way. It's a grace-filled way. The way of life. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is not just metaphorical speech. It's not Jesus speaking in riddles. It's an actual fact. The way that Jesus lived is the way that we are meant to live full of passionate love, only doing what the Father says, and willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of our King, knowing that the deaths we suffer for the kingdom are just more opportunities for stones to be rolled away and the glory of a resurrected body to shine again. And it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that brings healing, hope, and freedom to a broken world full of desperate people. And I'm not just talking about telling Bible stories. I'm proclaiming that a healed marriage is good news. A restored relationship with your children is good news to the world. Trusting God to provide instead of staying in a job that's killing you, that's good news to a desperate world. That's the way of Jesus. The gospel is not a lukewarm puddle to step over when we don't want to get our feet wet. The gospel is a wild ocean, and our God is infinite power and love with the roar of the waves calling us to be transformed. And when you live a passionate life and consider your suffering nothing compared to the glory that's to come, we are all transformed by your faithful obedience because we get to see the face of God on you. We are called to live passionate lives. And a passionate life is one of true love. Love for the Father, love for others. And following that calling looks different in every season of our lives. Sometimes it's a small, faithful step of making a phone call. Sometimes it's a huge step of walking away from an addiction. A lot of times it looks like relationships that have gotten really bogged down in these lies. And sometimes it's a new adventure that God's calling you to, a big thing that you're anxious about. Maybe God is stirring something up in you today and reminding you of something that he's asked you to follow him in the past. And maybe you weren't ready, or maybe you didn't know that you could trust some of that anxiety, and you said no or not yet. Revisit it. Ask the Lord to speak clearly about it. Ask him to confirm it in some community. Maybe God's stirring something brand new up in you today. Maybe he's asking you to do something that you've never heard him ask before. 
and you're like, mm, that can't be the Lord. Let me tell you, if it makes you a little anxious, it probably is the Lord. Because <laughs> the things that we ask ourselves to do are very comfortable. So if there's anything coming to your mind that's giving you that feeling in your body that feels a little anxious, oh, like maybe you're holding your hopes and your fears in your hands at the same time, that something good could happen, ask the Lord about it, bring it to community. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Um, and I asked Clint to play a really specific song. I asked him to play Just as Good to finish our time together and to take communion. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little directive in our worship. I'm going to ask you to let this song lead you in a couple of ways. The, the lyrics in this song are that... Um, God is still just as good as when we met him. And that when we build up these Ebenezers, these stone piles of remembrance like they did in the Old Testament, it helps us to look at that pile. Oh, I remember that God was faithful here. Can that be enough for me to trust that God will still be faithful here? So as we sing, we're going to remember times that God has been faithful in the past. Maybe that's what you need today as you're worshiping. Lord, would you bring to mind, I know that you have been faithful. That is your character. But right now it doesn't really feel like it. Would you show me the times that you have come and done the things that I could not do? And then we're also going to sing out as a reminder to each other and to ourselves that some of us in this room are in the middle of a dark season. We are suffering, and maybe we're kind of tired of suffering. Well, we're going to remind each other that God is still just as good as when we met him. God doesn't change when our circumstances change. And I'm going to tell you something. This is a very powerful and mysterious gift that we can give each other. Knowing that there's people who cannot sing out that God is good today, out of our deep love for them, we're going to sing it and believe it for them. Truly keeping that in the front of our minds. Lord, for those in this room who cannot sing this, I will sing it and I will believe it for them. And then lastly, we're really going to listen for any promptings that we've heard from God about passionate steps that he's asking us to take that will bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, in your life as it was in Jesus' life. Sacrificial steps of love that he has been whispering to you about, that he's bringing new to your mind today. And we're going to ask him for some direction. What does it look like to step over that threshold of faith, Lord? Give me one faithful step to take today, God, because, boy, the end feels overwhelming. We're not going to worry about the end. We're going to trust that God will be faithful. We're going to trust that on this hero's journey, we do not have to worry about triumph because we are victorious in Christ, and he has already won every single battle. You are beloved. You are enough because Jesus is enough. And the things that you do in the freedom of that identity show every single one of us the faith of our Father and our King. We're also going to take communion as we sing. 
and maybe as you're taking this, if you're coming up with someone from your family and they would like you to pray with you about something that you heard today, as you get back to your seat, ask each other, is there something that the Lord is asking you to do? And then as you take communion, make that commitment to the Lord and to each other that you will walk in unity going forward. We were never meant to do this alone. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.